everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I uh, appreciate everybody who does tune in frequently, everybody that follows the page. If you haven't been following the page, make sure to give that a thumbs up. Uh, we're here. I'm going to try to be a little bit more frequent in the way I post and the way I do these live streams. I think it's important that we touch on personal freedoms and our freedoms in New York State and try to wake up as many New Yorkers as we possibly can, as it is our job as Americans to uh, spread the word of freedom and make sure that the word of freedom is being heard everywhere. Uh, just give me a second here. I'm going to go ahead and get on my phone and start sharing this to other groups so other people may receive this. Um, but tonight we're going to be talking about a little bit, a little bit of what's going on. I think it's important that we talk about just exactly uh, what's at stake here. Um, a little bit about what I'm seeing, and I probably will talk about these things several times in the future, but it's important that we keep that pressure going. So if you guys wouldn't mind, give the, give, give the video a like, like the page, give it a share. Let's spread this. Let's get the word going. It's important that we're heard. Uh, I, I don't think that, you know, now is, I don't think there's any other time than now to wake up. There's no time in our lifetime. I, I don't foresee or, or can recall a time that is as, as important as now to wake up and wake up other people. It's important that we are heard and that the word of freedom is being, is being spoken everywhere we go. So I want to talk to everybody today about uh, just briefly the coronavirus. Well, I guess I, I shouldn't say briefly because we're going to be talking about it for a little bit here. So some things I want to talk about are, you know, why the government, why the governor is saying, oh, we're doing such a good job. We're doing such a good job. I want to talk about, you know, what my thoughts are on, you know, what is happening behind the scenes? What is, you know, what is, what are some of the things that these politicians are saying that, you know, that there's, there's other words behind them. There's other reasons why these pe people are pushing these policies or there's other reasons why they're saying these things. Or maybe there's not very much, you know, genuine uh, concern about the coronavirus as there was, or perhaps there is a lot of concern we don't know. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Um, but first, I'm just going to go ahead. Like I said, I'm on my phone right now. I'm going to be sharing this to other groups. I want to make sure that other people get this message. I think it's important that we are, as Central New Yorkers, as people who are, you know, the, the district that I'm running in, Central New Yorkers, hear this message. And we make sure that you know we spread it across New York State as a whole. So just give me one second here. We'll get this get this going. All right. All right. Hello, everybody. So, um, I think it's important that we talk about the coronavirus. And when it comes to the coronavirus, especially with with everything that's going on. There's so much that we can talk about. There's so much that we can talk about. Uh, we can talk about civil liberties. We can talk about the economy. We can talk about pet projects that our governor's been passing. By the way, our governor has signed into law over 250 new laws. New York, 250 new laws. That's what you're dealing with. A guy who, who is in a, a small time frame passed 250 laws. And something that I'm hearing a lot is, well, he's doing a great job. He's, he's keeping us informed. Well, not really. We don't really know much about this. You know, this great job that, you know, we've been talking about, like everybody's saying, oh, we're doing a great job. We're doing a great job. We're doing better than expected. I'll give you that. 
we're doing better than expected with this coronavirus. Now, when, it, when, when, when we're addressing this issue, there's, there's three things that we could have done. There's three things that really, you know, our government has been playing with. Those three things are, A, just let it happen. And like Sweden is right now, just let it happen. And we'll deal with it as it comes along. We'll deal with the coronavirus day by day. We'll, de we'll deal with the sick. We'll tell the people who are vulnerable to stay home. We'll tell the people who have immunodeficiencies and the people who are elderly to stay home. And we'll deal with it day by day. That was option one. Option two, which is what New York went with and what California went with and a couple other places in the country went with, is lock down everybody, tell them to stay inside their homes. Only essential businesses will be able to stay open. And we'll try to prolong the amount of people flooding into our healthcare system. We'll try to uh, flatten the curve, as they called it. And I keep, I want to remind everybody, although it may be difficult to remember, as it is for a lot of people, apparently, they forgot that this is about flattening the curve. This is about keeping as many people out of our healthcare system as we can and trying not to overwhelm the healthcare system, which turns out, Yes, it might be working for high-dense high areas like New York City or, or high-dense areas like Rochester or Buffalo. I haven't been looking into Rochester and Buffalo very much recently because they're not in my district. My concerns are within my district, within central New York, the community of which I live in. That's where my biggest concern lies. Turns out in our district, we're not being overwhelmed. Our healthcare system is not being overwhelmed. Our hospitals are relatively empty. Our hospitals are relatively empty. I'm not talking about one hospital. If you're if you're if you're healthcare, uh, if you work in the healthcare field, if you're a nurse, if you're a doctor, an EMT, a firefighter, you know, if you if you work with you know patients, I'm not saying you're not overwhelmed right now. I am not saying your job is not stressful right now. What I am saying is that there are a lot of hospitals that are relatively empty. They're working at 50% capacity or 75% of what they normally do because they can't be accepting patients in that aren't worth their time because those are those patients aren't essential. So we, we went with option two in New York. We, we decided to lock everything down. And I've heard some people say, well, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, which is true. I agree with that. But also some people have been saying, I'd rather be safe than sorry. There's no such thing as say, I'd rather be safe than sorry in this situation. Because you're damned if you do, if you're damned if you don't in this situation. You're damned if you lock everybody inside their houses and virtually ruin the entire economy, which is happening. We're about 13% unemployed. Oh, I forget what the number was. I think it's 13% unemployment. The Great Depression was about 20%. And we're climbing far rapid, far more rapidly than, than uh, you know, they did in the, in the 20s. And... I think no, it's nobody's fault. I, I want to make sure I, I, I understand, you know, I want everybody to understand. I realize it's nobody's fault, but we can't just lock people inside their homes and say, you know, here's $1,200 for the next five weeks. Um, good luck. We can't do that to people. We can't rely on the government. We cannot rely on the government. We have to end the lockdown. And I'm going to give you the, re I'm going to give you reasons why I'm not just going to say we need to end the lockdown because I want to go get my haircut. I'm not going to just say we need to end the lockdown because I want to go out to my favorite restaurant and sit down and talk to my favorite waitress. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we need to end the lockdown because, it, and, and, I, and, I, and I hear this a lot. When somebody says we need to end the lockdown, there's a lot of people who have this, uh, this reactionist culture to them. They just have this you know, reaction where like, oh, you want people to die. You don't care about me. You care about yourself. You selfish this and that. No, no. This, this is not about that. This is not about that. I understand the threat. 
don't discount, don't, don't tell me that I don't care about other people. In fact, the reason why I'm suggesting to end the lockdown is because I care about other people. Don't put words in my mouth to fit your narrative of what you would like me, what, you, what, what picture you would like me to be, because that is not true. I'm saying we end the lockdown because our economy needs to come back immediately, now more than ever. The best thing for this country right now is to end the lockdown, plain and simple. Plain and simple. Yes, there are people we need to worry about. Yes, this virus, this virus presents a threat. Here would be my proposal. And also, nobody knows the right thing to do right now. Nobody knows the correct way to handle this. That is, that's the biggest issue. Nobody knows how to handle this. How do we learn how to handle this? Well, we can't learn unless we observe. Sorry, that's just a factual, that's the factuality of it. We were worried about our healthcare system being overwhelmed. We locked everybody in their homes. Turns out some places needed that more than others. Our district in upstate New York did not need everybody to be locked in their own homes. Cases are relatively low. The risk is relatively minor for people in upstate New York right now. That's just the science behind it. I'm not the only one saying this. And I wish I had the names in front of me, but I was reading articles. I've listened to podcasts the last couple of days. Yes, there are engineers, there are biochemists, bio, uh, there are doctors, physicians that are saying exactly what I'm saying, that you know, there is not a concern for certain areas and we should not be having a one-size-fits-all lockdown because it's not helping anybody, period. It's not. It's not. And that's what I mean. You're not safer than sorry if you lock everybody in their homes. You are actually going to be more sorry than safe. Because eventually there becomes there's a, there's a health risk to locking people inside their homes, whether it be the uh, the psychological problems it might cause for somebody, uh, the manic depression or anxiety that someone's going to go through. You're going to see suicide rates start going up. Just the other day in Syracuse, I I've been working uh, in Syracuse area for the last couple of weeks. Just the other day in Syracuse, a woman tried dropping, jumping off a bridge, and the police had to hold her there until the fire department can come help her down. I'm not saying that's I'm not saying that's coincidence, you know, with this coronavirus. I'm saying people are upset. People are freaking out. People are putting their lives at risk because they literally give me freedom or give me death. That is the attitude of a lot of individuals. And although you might not believe that, which is fine, you don't need to believe that. You can like the government to control your life as much as you want to and protect you and play the parent role. That's fine. You can do that. But you have the freedom to do that. That is the point. Freedom comes first. You have the freedom to think that. And you cannot have the freedom to think that if you do not have a heavy skepticism for your government. And that is what is beyond, without a doubt, the healthiest thing to be doing right now. And like I said, you know, this, before I get into that, let's touch back on this virus. Lockdowns are going to hurt people you know, just health-wise. They're going to hurt your health more than the actual viruses. Let me explain to you why. Okay, yes, the virus presents a threat, and I'm not recommending that everybody just goes out there and starts licking walls and starts hugging their best friend all over. I'm not saying we just go back to normal, okay? Culturally, as a society, we take recommendations from trusted physicians across the country, and we go by what they say. Yes, lots of them have been saying to wear masks. But others who have been virtually silenced right now, and you guys cannot say that you haven't heard it because you have, both on the, whether you're a Republican or you're a Democrat, you watch Fox or CNN or MSNBC or The Blaze, it doesn't matter. You've seen this. You've seen physicians getting 
mocked, getting twitted. They're just, you know, like I, cyber. Uh, what is the best way to, for me to put it? You get see physicians who say something contrary to what Dr. Fauci is saying, or the New York State Department, of, New York State Department of Health is saying, and then they get the license taken away from them. They get their voice taken away from them. You get told that they're an idiot and that their opinion doesn't matter. These are real physicians. These are people who are uh, very well educated in, in in the science of health. These are people who have been practicing it for a long time, who are reputed for a very long time. I'm not talking about those viral videos going around. What I'm talking about is legitimate physicians from UCL who who have their doctorates in in in, in uh, MD from UCLA or or Harvard or very well, you know, educated people. People who I would trust to take my heart out and put another heart inside of me. People who could do that, who are saying, no, this is not nearly the threat the government is saying it is. That, and, and the fact that those people are being silenced by uh, the media, by the government, ridiculed without being heard, is just reactionary. And we need to go back to civil discourse and start listening to people. And I have, over the last couple weeks, just watched... And I never thought in my lifetime, first of all, I never thought I would be born into a generation that is so incapable of hearing differing opinions that they go out, they, they literally claim the victim role every time they hear somebody say con something contrary to their common beliefs. Yes, I'm a millennial, and I have to deal with that within my own generation. People who are just, they, they have the, they're not capable of taking criticism or, or hearing a difference of opinion, and it bothers me. And it is that generation who is getting doctorate's degrees, who are going to school for journalism, who are becoming lawyers, who are getting involved in government. And that generation, which is shutting down individuals for their free speech, for their own independent thinking, because they're higher up, their elected official, their, their God, their, their leader didn't tell them that was correct. And if your leader tells you what they're saying is incorrect, then they're not going to listen to you. They're not going to even, even give you a chance. They're not going to give you a fair shake whatsoever. They don't think that anybody besides themselves and the person that they follow is capable of individual thought. And that bothers me. That is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a, a, a media which is ran by individuals who unfortunately <laughs> behave like that. And we're dealing with a, a, a government in New York which is playing to the, to, the, to the passions, to that reactionary culture. We're dealing with a governor who gets, who's, who's, who's appealing to that demographic, to those people. And when we do that, when we, when we don't have a society who, that doesn't have a thick skin, who isn't willing to, uh, you know, listen and and think for themselves. We run into this rut that we're in right now, where you have these people who say to everybody like me, "I want to end the lockdown." We have those these people who say, "Well, you want to kill everybody." That's what these people are telling me, which is wrong. I don't. I don't. I don't care about myself more than I care about everybody else. If I cared about myself more than I cared about everybody else, I wouldn't be running for office. I wouldn't be. I would not be running for office if I cared about myself more than everybody else. I honestly care more. If, you're, if, you, if you doubt that, ask any single one of my customers at my store. I'm going to my business, uh, to, to the, the, the industry of which I work in now. Ask any one of my customers if I care about them less than I do about myself.
they're gonna they're gonna tell you otherwise. I can I, I, I don't mean to sound disingenuous. I have always put the needs and wants of the people who provide me with a platform before myself because that's how you keep that platform. That's how politics is supposed to work. And unfortunately, that is what's, that is also happening to Governor Cuomo. That's happening to Nancy Pelosi. That's happening to these, these left-leaning politicians who are just letting their base uh, freak out and, and – there, there is a point, unfortunately, where that person in that position of power or that person with that platform has to say, or, or somebody, somebody, I don't care who it is, somebody who has a far-reaching voice who's on the left or on the right. The right is not exempt from doing this too, by the way. They do it sometimes too. They can't deny that. They do that. They freak out and they victimize themselves, just like the left does. Left victimizes themselves. And with this victimizing society that we have, we're dealing with a massive problem. Life hit everybody in the face really hard. All of a sudden, with, a, with, a, with an enemy we can't see, smell, or hear, and it is killing more people than the Taliban did on 9-11. It is absolutely something that's unprecedented there is no right or wrong answer to handling this right now and we are incapable of listening to one another i feel like i'm going all over the board here and i apologize about that i'm kind of thinking out loud i'm kind of thinking with you guys i, I this to me this thing i'm doing online isn't me telling you what to think i feel like i'm having a conversation with you that's why i'm doing this and and this, these are the type of, this is the type of thing that needs to happen. Unfortunately, I can't have town halls right now. It's not that I don't want to. It's not that I'm scared of going out to meet you guys. It's that the government really literally doesn't let it happen right now. Literally doesn't let it happen. So we're doing these online videos. We're going to do them live. And I just want it to feel like a conversation. While you're watching, you, there should be no, I, I want it to sound like a conversation because I'm just a regular guy. I'm just a regular middle-class working guy who wants to help his children have a brighter future and for the, my children's friends to have brighter futures and to not leave my generation and the next generation with an unbearable burden of carrying, turning this country around and the state around after Governor Andrew Cuomo has dragged it through the mud for the sake of votes, for the sake of power, for the sake of notoriety. First and foremost, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Don't let him convince you otherwise. When people say he's doing a good job, he's doing better than expected. That's all they mean. And if they're saying he's doing a good job, that's, that's an exaggeration. He's doing better than expected. Everybody is. Everybody's doing better than expected. President Trump is doing better than expected during these times, especially with the rhetoric that he's facing. Uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo, there is no opposition to him right now. None. No opposition. Period. Like there's very, very little. There's very. He's a freight train and there's a pebble on the track. That's how much opposition he's got right now. And he's just rolling through it. He's letting Bill Gates come in. He's letting Bill Gates take control of our education system again. He's the guy that brought us Common Core. That was a smashing success, wasn't it? So he wants to, he comes from Cuomo's listening to this guy, and this guy's telling him, hey, you know, we should do you know, everything from home. Let's touch on that real quick before we go any further, because unfortunately, this conversation, this, this, this talk I'm giving right now is going to, it's going to, it's going to, 
hit you just like the coronavirus did. Everything hit you at once and everything's gonna happen at once. So we gotta talk through this and think about it in this fashion. We're thinking on, 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 the, on, the, on the balls of our feet here. When Bill Gates comes in with a multi-billionaire, one of the richest men in the whole wide world, who is famous for selling uh, you know, faulty software and then selling you the cure for that faulty software, comes in and tells the governor in New York State that he wants everybody microchipped and everybody tracked so he can know where each and every single individual is in the entire state. And so that way we can find out where the people are quarantined, where they're not quarantined, where they're breaking quarantine, which individuals we need to be worried about. That needs to bother you. That needs to bother you, especially when it comes to microchipping, because I don't want that thing in my neck. The good thing about having one of these is that I can snap it in half if I want to and throw it into my backyard or dig a hole and bury it somewhere. If you had a microchip inside of you, they're not going to just let that technology go. They're not. They're not just going to say, okay, yo, coronavirus is done. Turn that off. Mm -mm, it doesn't work like that. It does not work like that. And yes, I understand how it is appealing, and this is what the left likes to do. This is what the Democrats are famous for. They're famous for a very quick fix law. They're very famous for a very quick fix idea. They always, and Governor Cuomo more than anybody, more than anybody is, is, is just, he is, he is just looking for the quickest way out every single time. Every single time. If I was to go camping with this guy, and uh, we were trying to build a fire. And here I am, you know, I'm, I'm just putting, you know, I'm just trying to do everything the right way, trying to be healthy for the environment, you know, whatever. And I'm, I'm putting sticks together, I'm putting logs together, and I, I'm using, you know, like uh, a flint and steel to light this fire, and it's just not working, you know, but I'm putting in the hard work because it's the best way to get the best, you know, the best ember going. And this guy comes along, dumps a gallon of gasoline on it, and lights a freaking match and lets it on fire. And now we can't cook marshmallows over it. That sounds like a stupid comparison, but that's really what it is. Back in uh, you know February, in my industry, the vaping industry, when coronavirus is going on, instead of handling and preparing for coronavirus, you told everybody not to worry. And then the most important thing at that time was a vaping bill to pass to, to ban flavored e-liquid. The banned flavored e-liquid because apparently four people was, you know, for the death of four people in New York State from vaping an illegal product, not the regulated product that he banned, but the illegal product, four people died from that. And because of that vaping epidemic, we went through and, and he banned flavored e-liquid, although the industry was giving him a ton of good ideas, a ton of reasonable ways that we could have handled it. Uh, not just the industry themselves, but doctors, we got lawyers, we had associate, like different organizations reaching out to him, telling him, no, no, listen to them, listen to them. We can sort this out, we can figure out a reasonable way to do this. He had none of that. He had none of that, he just wanted to ban. We just wanted to make the, the, the Democrat moms happy of New York City. The, the people who are just mad that they can smell the blueberry flavored vape liquid, you know, wafting over their way. They're just so mad about that, you know, and they're mad that they're, they're incapable of, you know, keeping their kids from jeweling. And he just banned, banned, no more, done. Didn't even want to listen to people. And that's exactly what he did with the coronavirus. Did not listen to the minority at all. Is still not listening to the minority. Lockdown. No more. No more business. No more moving. Listen to me or pay a fine. And that's the truth, guys. 
He is not about, you know, listen. He doesn't, he doesn't care. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about what you have to say. He doesn't care about what plan you have. He doesn't care about what reasoning you're going to do with him. He doesn't even care if you tolerate his policies. He doesn't, he isn't looking for respect. He's looking for compliance. He's looking for obedience. And that's what, are, that's what we're dealing with in New York. And we can't deal with it any longer. And we got to stop electing people, whether they're a Democrat or a Republican, that just, just obeys. We can't just – civil disobedience is needed in times like this, and I'm not talking about going to protest. I'm not talking about getting yourself arrested or in trouble. What I'm talking about is speaking out, speaking out, protesting from your home, going online, doing what I'm doing right now, trying to get the word spread, sharing this video, liking this video. I don't care. Spread the word. Spread the word, and if you want to protest, it is your First Amendment right to protest, regardless of the, of the, of the coronavirus or not. It says it right there, first thing in the Constitution, the right of the people to assemble, the freedom of speech. Ex ex exercise that, invoke that amendment to your fullest. It is your God-given right to do so. It is your God-given right to do so. And this is my thing about that. This is what you're going to get hit with. You're going to get hit with this example nearly every single time from every single socialist that wants to stop your freedom of speech and stop your freedom of assembly. They're going to say, you wouldn't shout fire in a crowded theater, would you? Would you? No, I wouldn't. But guess what? Technically, until 1919, when a socialist started to uh, protest the draft, the government said, nah. You, we're not going to have any of that. You can't protest the draft because it is unsafe for any freedom of speech that is unsafe for the common good should not be allowed. That's, that's kind of, I'm just paraphrasing there, but that's what the government said because they argued that we needed men to fight a war so we didn't lose the war. That's why they told the socialist that he couldn't protest. He couldn't put protest a draft. And the example they used, and the example that every leftist, lefty socialist uses nowadays is, you wouldn't shout fire in a crowded theater, would you? Now, yes, you shouldn't shout fire in a crowded theater. Because, excuse me, but that would make you an asshole. But here's why it should be protected under the First Amendment. Because if you shout fire in a crowded theater, everybody in that theater is going to think you're a jerk and that manager of the theater if he's a good one will chuck you out of there and won't let you back in again and if he doesn't capitalism wins because that's a sucky theater and nobody wants to go back that is why the freedom of speech is protected and that's why capitalism is important so that way business owners can make decisions for themselves your freedom of speech is protected and you're not in jail but you are recognized socially among every all of your peers that you are a jerk and they're not going to affiliate themselves with you that's another thing if the freedom of speech is limited then how are we supposed to know who the idiots are I don't care whether or not you support the protesters. I don't care if you support them or not. This is my point. How are you supposed to know who the idiots are? They might be idiots. They might not be. You make up your own mind. That's your freedom. But I support them, by the way. I do. That's just me. But how are you supposed to know who the idiots are for if our freedom of speech is, 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 is in any way, shape, or form infringed, which it already has been. It has been for over 100 years already. Think about that. Chew on that for a second. Chew on that for a second. How are you supposed to find the assholes, excuse me, but how are you supposed to find these jerks 
if our freedom of speech is limited. I hate white supremacists. I detest them. I condemn them. I condemn any hate group. I condemn all hate in all shapes and form, whether it's religious hate, whether it is sexual hate or, or racial hate, I condemn it. But how are you supposed to find those people if they are not allowed to talk? All of a sudden, you make a problem invisible. Prohibition does not work, whether it be alcohol, weed, or any sort of drug, or anything. When you make something that was legal illegal, you suddenly make that problem invisible. Because, and I'm just going to, you know, <laughs> this is a Paw Patrol box. But this is the way, actually, let's do this. I'm not going to grab my, my daughter's toys. This is, you know, this is the black market. You can't see the black market. My hand represents, let's just call it alcohol, the 1920s. If you make something illegal, here it is, regulated. You can see everybody doing it. You can see everybody doing this thing. You might not agree with it. You hate it, but you can see everybody doing it. It's regulated. It's taxed. The government has control over it. We're making sure nobody's doing anything bad with this thing. As soon as you think that thing illegal, you can't see what's going on. Now the cops have to come in, and we have to pay even more tax dollars, tax dollars that we could have... Uh, you know, accrued from the legal sale of it. Once you make that thing illegal, now those cops have to go find where in the hell this thing is going on. And then they start arresting people who are just using it. And they're not actually going after the people who are doing anything actually wrong, actually harming people and actually putting people's lives in danger. That is the only reason why anything should be illegal is if you're putting somebody's life in danger. Speech is not that. No matter what speech it is, you are not putting anybody's life in danger. It may offend you. You might not like it. It might be disgusting. And there is such a thing as disgusting speech out there. There is such a thing as condemnable speech. There is such a thing as hate speech. However, hate speech, condemnable speech, disgusting speech, doesn't matter what it is, is protected under the First Amendment because of the reasons I just mentioned. You will not be able to find who the assholes are if you make this thing illegal. Just like with marijuana. If we're talking about, you know, people who smoke weed, generally the general public of the people that smoke weed, they're not an issue. Just like back in the 1920s, the people who drank alcohol just typically were not an issue. But Al Capone, big gangster, used violence. And if, by the way, if, if alcohol wasn't illegal, Al Capone would not have, if alcohol, Al Capone would never ha have existed ever. He just wouldn't have. Just like these Mexican drug cartels probably wouldn't have existed if we legalized marijuana. You know, they, 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 it just wouldn't happen. El Chapo, for example, started in marijuana. And he wouldn't have risen to such power if we didn't make it illegal nearly 100 years ago. Because he would have nothing to go on. There'd probably be a different issue somewhere else, but marijuana drug war wouldn't exist. Because it would be a taxable income, we could make money off of it, we could build roads with that money. It should happen. And for a lot of libertarians, for a lot of, you know, other people, they, they really hate that, the, the taxing of marijuana idea. You're not going to get, we're, live, we're in New York State. Wake up. Smell, smell, smell what's going on. We're in New York State. If we are going to ever, we got to start with small victories, guys. If you want to live in a tax-free society, fine whatever. If you want to, you know, do this or that, anything that's a really long bridge to cross, I'm with you. I want to get there. I want, a I want, I, I don't want to pay taxes. I hate taxes, but let's start with the simple things first. Let's put freedom first. Like I've always been saying this entire campaign, freedom comes first. 
period. Freedom comes first, nothing else, period. I don't care about the economy before freedom. I don't care about anything else before freedom. Freedom comes first. The freedom to own and bear, keep and bear arms. The freedom to smoke marijuana in your own home. The freedom to drive around with any sort of tint of window that you would like. The freedom to do whatever you would want as long as you're not hurting or stealing or threatening anybody. That is freedom. I want that before I want no taxes. That's just me. I want that before I want no taxes. And that's what we need to work towards. As a party, whether you're a Republican or a Libertarian or a moderate Democrat, we need to work towards keeping our freedoms and getting our freedoms back before we do anything else, before we start cutting taxes, before we start introducing these you know, other ideas and, and expanding our, our, our viewpoints and, and, and introducing more policies. We need to go for freedom first. Now, does that mean I'm not discounting the importance? Am I, am I discounting the importance of, of other problems such as abortion? No, I am not. What I'm saying is we need to make sure that our teachers don't need to get, you know, that we drop the, 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 un, the, the unnecessary requirement for them to have a master's degree. We don't need for them to have that right now. We don't need restrictions on, on firearms in rural New York. We don't need that. There is no reason why cannabis shouldn't be, shouldn't be legalized. There's also no reason for farmers, there's no justifiable reason, none, for farmers to be unable or incapable of signing a contract with a, with a consumer, a, a single consumer, uh, and, and just giving them products. Like, it, it is ridiculous. We need to fight for freedoms first. Let, less restrictions comes first, guys. Less regulations, more freedoms, less regulations, less restrictions, more freedoms. I'm just going to beat a dead horse constantly with the freedom first thing because I want everybody to understand that's what I'm about. Freedoms first. After we take care of our freedoms, then we go after the economy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Freedom. Freedom comes first. And by the way, in a capitalist society, freedom helps the economy. In a real capitalist society, freedom helps the economy. The coronavirus lockdown is proof of that. If you don't believe me, how is being locked in your house helping the economy? How is your inability to go to work helping the economy? How is this, the stimulus check? How is, how is this you know, $1,200 for the next five weeks helping the economy in the long run? It helped very, very short term. It was a Band-Aid, a small Band-Aid for a really big wound. That's what that was. And you need to wake up and realize that freedom comes first, freedom helps the economy, and we cannot just slap a Band-Aid on these things anymore. We just can't. We can't keep doing that, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. We can't keep banning things. We can't keep restricting things because life is a highway. <laughs> no, no pun intended, but life is a highway, and the government is the highway authority. And for every single time somebody does something wrong or something scares them, they put in a speed bump. And eventually, there'll be so many freaking speed bumps that the road will be in, uh, undrivable. And now you have to walk all the way there. And 
to, to get to where you need to go, it should just be a flat road. Just because somebody else messed up in their life does not mean that they have to ban it or restrict it or regulate it for the sake of everybody else. Yes, go after the people who are really the problem. Yes, go after the people who are really dirty, who are really corrupt. But let everybody else, let the modern worker, let the middle class worker, or even the upper class or lower class worker have the opportunity to grow and expand their livelihood, to expand their business, to get a better paying job, to hire more employees, to help more people out, give them the opportunity to donate more. Let farmers uh, work without overbearing regulations and taxes and fees. Let cannabis, you know, become an industry that booms and, and virtually, you know, and I hear this all the time. First, I'm going to talk about cannabis. I'm going to talk about cannabis right now because every time somebody, I bring it up to somebody, especially for somebody who, who, who's been against it for a long time, well, I don't believe that. I don't, I don't believe that it's going to, there's that many people that are going to, you know, go after this. Okay. How did Colorado get out of their debt? It wasn't because of anything else besides cannabis. And also think about this. More than two thirds of Americans want cannabis to be legalized. Whether or not people continue to go on the black market to buy it is their own prerogative. In fact, if it's legalized, you shouldn't even care. You shouldn't even care because it's like, it would be like brewing beer in your own home. If somebody went to somebody else's house to buy weed, it'd be like going to your buddy's house who brews his own beers. That's what it would be like. That's what it would be like. So get the idea out of your head that it will be the black market. It's not really the black, it's the grain market. And yes, it'll be, you know, whatever. You can't tax it, technically, whatever. But it's that, that's their freedom. They can do that. Thing is, I want people to stop getting arrested for it. And I want businesses to be able to open up and start making money off of it and hiring people on the streets who don't know anything else and who would be fantastic dispensary workers. That's what I want. And excellent laboratory technicians, excellent manufacturers, and excellent companies. And, and you, if, if you ever had the luxury or the, the, the opportunity to go out of state and visit one of these dispensaries, they're not some chop shop. They're not just some hole in the wall. They're like an Apple store, okay? It's like walking into uh, a dealership. It is beautiful. It is clean. It is high quality. So, and, and they not just pay, they're not paying for this through any loans. They're not paying this through any government money because they can't do that. They can't accept government money to open up these businesses. They're paying this with their own money that they made while owning and operating their businesses. And New York state, a couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, I want to say like two years ago when I went to Albany and uh, I, I, let, I listened in on, on, on a, on a conference about, you know, the industry of cannabis, $1.3 billion in tax revenue alone, $1.3 billion in tax revenue alone, just a couple of years ago. Now it's predicted that it'll be even more than that. And that's just with like a simple, you know, just like with e-cigarettes, the 20% tax on e-cigarettes. And it's actually, it was less than that. It was like a 10% or a 15%. And I know for you libertarians and fellow libertarians and, and fellow conservatives, I know, I get it. We hate taxes. I get it. That's a bridge that we got to cross later on, though. We have to focus on freedom first and get it legalized first. 
because if it's not legal, they can't tax it. And if it's not legal, we're still going to get put in prison for using a product or using a substance that is used to treat cancer in other states. And it's also been used for thousands of years to help a lot of medicinal problems. Western culture, that's what this is. And I want to talk about veterans real quick. And I, I guess it's kind of a radical proposal. I don't think it's radical, but I've been hearing that it's a radical proposal. I want to cut taxes for veterans. I do. I don't think veterans need to pay property tax or income tax. I don't think they need to pay that. They shouldn't need to pay that. They've already done enough for their country. My father is one of those people. And this is, bill is not just for my father. It's for I think my father's friends, the people who he went to war with, the people who are still at war, the people who have sacrificed some, and for those who, have, who are family members of those who have sacrificed all. Look, you know, and, and, and how do you make up the shortfall for this? New York State already does overtax. Let's not let's not play around. They already overspend and overtax. They hit a double whammy on that. Taxpayers in New York. When we talk about taxpayers in New York, we talk about veterans. They're, they're not even two percent of contribute. They're not even two percent of the 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 amount of tax money that is is paid to the state. They don't even make up two percent of that. If we can't figure out how to make up a 2% shortfall, then what are we doing? The, the, most, the most immediate way, the most, the most getting this weight off their shoulders. Let's help our veterans. And I know there's, there's some people who are just so cruel who say, you know, like, well, they wanted to do that. They deserve, you know, getting what they got. No, that's not true at all. It's not true until you're in that position yourself, where you're a 17-year-old kid, and whether you do it for glory, whether you do it for your family, or you do it for your, for your, for your kid so you can have a paycheck and you can put a roof over his head, or maybe you just do it because you were, you were sold on it by the recruiter, you had no idea what that was. Then you go overseas and you see unbelievable things. You smell the, the sweet and sickly smell of a, of a, of a dying corpse. And you just see the most awful things. There is no human being on this earth besides a veteran who has seen what veterans have seen. There is nobody on this earth who, who knows what true love, what true fear, what true catastrophe, what true heartache and true sorrow feels like until a veteran loses his friend or family member overseas. And, and watches it happen. There's nobody besides our veterans who who have who have seen so much terrible, so much awful horror. And for anybody, anybody, whether you support our military or not, that's a different topic. That's a different topic. Whether you support our military or not, there is no excuse for you to oppose attack un. There's no reason for you to oppose getting rid of that tax burden for our veterans. Hell, I'm a libertarian. I don't like taxes to begin with. But if I need to make up that shortfall for our veterans, for those who have been scarred, not just physically, but mentally, morally, and psychologically from, the, from warfare, I would be willing to make up that shortfall. However, it doesn't need to be that way. Let's talk about that real quick. We just touched on cannabis. We just touched on cannabis. 
an industry that has the opportunity to make $1.3 billion in the first year alone through tax revenue. After 10 years, we completely make up that shortfall I was just talking about with veterans. And also, we can start stop we can stop spending things we can stop spending money in places that doesn't need to be spent so in talking about this hey governor cuomo here's an idea we don't need to redo the entire Erie canal we don't need to spend 300 million dollars on that here's another thing governor cuomo we don't need to spend uh billions of dollars on solar panels we don't need to we got private industry for that there's this guy named elon musk i don't know he sent rocket ships into space and you know started online banking and build cars that run off electricity you can plug them into your house i don't know we got him for that we don't need you to tax people to, to build these things that's already being worked on we don't need you for that so <laughs> you know we don't need to constantly have this 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 unreasonable spending that we're having in new york state we don't. And we can make up that shortfall easily by just cutting these unnecessary programs that I just talked about. Whether it be solar panels, whether it be the, the New York State Fair, we don't need to spend so much money on the New York State Fair. By the way, for those of you who think that, who love the New York State Fair, and that's your prerogative, you can like it as much as you want, look at how much money they spent. It is going to blow you away. It is going to blow you away. They literally lose money. It is practically a free fair. <laughs> It is practically free to go attend in comparison to how much money they're spending. They're spending, a, a, like, let's put it this way. They're spending like, let's pretend they spent a dollar for each person. They're making like five cents for each dollar that they spent. That's the perspective of how much money we spend on our state fair. It is ridiculous. I don't know. That might be. That might not be exact. That might be exaggerating. That actually might be underballing it. I don't know. But that is the reality of that. New York State has a habit of doing that. We need to stop doing that. We are paying school administrators way too much money. I'm sorry. If you're a school administrator, I respect what you do. I'm not saying that your job is not important. I'm not saying that you're not a hard worker. I'm just saying across the board, especially in districts where there are more school administrators than teachers. Yes, those exist. We are paying on average a school administrator two to three times more than an average teacher is. And on top of that, we are, you know, this goes back to spending, New York State spending. That is a lot of money. That's a lot of money. It's like $138,000 a year for, for virtually less qualifications than the teacher. And let's talk about our teachers real quick. Let's talk about that. When it comes to our teachers, in New York State, we're one of the few states where you, where you have to have a master's degree to hold a job to, in teaching. You have to have a master's degree to teach. That's just unfair. It really is. It's just completely unfair. And let me explain to you why. If, we, if you need to have a master's degree in teaching, you're going to be spending an obscene amount of money on that master's degree. Then you get paid a job that is worth a bachelor's degree in almost every other state across the entire nation. And especially for, for teachers who are swamped in high school when they, when they, they have all this stuff to do um, and they only have a bachelor's degree and the, the state is mandating that they go now get a master's degree. Now you're teaching, now you're grading, now you're trying to learn how to uh, you know, help these kids through working with them, through you know, first-hand learning, you're learning while you're working, 
Now you have to go back to school. Now you have to spend all this money. You're dealing with the financial burden of a master's degree. And you're also dealing with the enormous amount of stress that comes along with the schooling. And you are an educator yourself, and it's kind of redundant. It's kind of redundant. I'm not a teacher. My mom's a teacher. My father-in-law's a teacher. My uh, grandmother was a secretary for the superintendent of, of, a, of a school district. Uh, teaching is in my family. You know, my mom was my ninth grade English teacher. I, 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 if you don't think my mama didn't tell, talk to me about the woes of being a teacher and what goes on behind the scenes, and if you don't think that my mama doesn't have friends who are teachers and I don't talk to them, and if you don't think that I don't talk to teachers and my for my children, then you're just you're just wrong, because teachers are are being so screwed in New York State. Year after year, they're being told how to do their jobs. They're being told that they, they virtually, when we come up with an idea like Common Core, or we propose something as stupid as what Governor Cuomo has proposed when it comes to educating our children from home permanently, you're functionally telling teachers that their jobs are worthless. And the mandates of getting a master's degree was not really anything special to begin with. And also, you're telling them that you don't, they're not needed anymore and that you know virtually we can just we can just do it all from home now because uh, he even mentioned we have larger class sizes. Now, where does that stop? Does that mean a hundred kids per class? Does that mean a thousand kids per class? Does that mean 10,000 kids per class? Are we just going to put a YouTube video out there and tell the kids to watch it and then grade them afterwards? What are we talking about? We're functionally telling teachers that they don't matter, that their socialization skills, which they're, 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 they're hand to hand learning. I don't know what else to call it. Their, their, their involvement in the classroom, they're getting involved with the teacher. They're getting it. They're getting more of an interaction with the kids. They're getting really in touch with who these people are and helping them grow as a person. That's why a school is important. That's why this brick and mortar is important. I'm all about spending less money on education. I'm all about it. I think everybody is. I think we need to up the, we just need to be more proficient in the way educators work. And I think that starts not by telling everybody to go home and permanently learn from home. What I'm telling people is that there's, there's a couple things we can do. First, let's talk about the home learning thing. We don't need to tell, we don't need to tell every kid to go home. What we can do is we can, we can get, make it optional. Make it optional for people that, that are in 9th grade to 12th grade. Kids that are ninth graders to 12th graders. Make it optional for their parents and the student. Make it, make it optional for them to, to choose whether or not they want to stay home on the computer and, and learn from home rather than going to the brick-and-mortar school. Make that only available for kids who have a high enough GPA. I don't know. Make it 3.2, 3.4, whatever. Make it optional for them because it's the kids that are excelling, the kids that are exceptional that are going to do better at that. Make an option. The kids that need those social skills, the kids that need the psychological nourishment of a teacher, the kids that need the, 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 the emotional support of friends, the people who need the social interactions to, to mature and to, to learn how to operate in society, that is the group of people that continually needs to go to school. And we can't just, we can't just tell parents that they have to uh, keep their kids home and police their children you know, while they learn. 
and you know my kids are going through this and my 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 daughter goes to private school and i'm very fortunate to have very good education uh, to afford a very good education for my children but at the same time uh i wasn't very long ago that i came out of the public school system it wasn't very long ago at all um it was five years ago and look where i am now you know and i think it's funny where you know Kids in my generation were told, you know, you have to go to college. If you don't go to college, you're not going to you're not going to be able to have a family. You're not going to be able to have a good job. You're not going to be able to you know, afford a car. You're not going to be able to do all this. You know, you're not going to be smart. That's basically what they pounded into your head. If you don't go to college, you're not going to be smart. You're not going to be successful. You're not going to be able to have a family. You're not going to be able to afford anything. That's what they told us. Turns out that's not true at all. We need more laborers, more laborers in New York now more than ever, especially with everything that's going on. Um, and it is, it is turned into this scam that you need to send your kid to college. We cannot let it turn into a scam where you need to let, you need to send your, we need your kid to learn from home. We cannot let it be that way because once it goes that way, individual teachers with individual ideas are no longer allowed to, to uh, give this student, this pupil, different opinions, different ideas, different ways of thinking, different inspirations. Yes, you're gonna have a crappy teacher every once in a while, but you're gonna have nine good good teachers for every crappy teacher. Or maybe you have nine bad teachers for every one good teacher. And unfortunately, that's the way real life works in real life. When they get out into the world, that's real life. And they learn that and they get to realize, you know, this person was my inspiration because nobody else believed in me. Or the opposite you know everybody believed in me except for mr white he was a he was a jerk and you know there was a mr white at my school and i want to make the i want to make it known mr white you were fantastic for me <laughs> but uh, i'm just using a, a random name as an example um you know it, it is amazing to me let's let's circle back to the beginning of this you know more than i want to thank everybody and i want to i want to also congratulate everybody on, on you know not not our government but my community i want to congratulate everybody on a job well done and we're doing a good job and keep up the good work because it is now more than ever that we realize that small government that the individual and what that individual does to better his community and to help out his community or his or her community it, how, how how important that is and how special that is and how valuable that is, and that you know, if we if we don't if we don't continue to to grow and learn and roll with the punches and help one another out as a community, then we will never ever be able to handle something like this in the future. And whether we like it or not, this is just a test run. Whether it was purposeful, which we, we don't know, there is speculation at the highest level in our government about that, whether it was purposeful or not. But whether or not it is a test, whether or not it was purposeful or not, it is a test run. Because you can bet whether it be 10, 20, 50, 100, 200 years from now, we need to know how to combat something like this. And if there's anything I know about Americans is that when catastrophe hits, the individual 
when the government doesn't control us the way they are now. The individual will always be so innovative, will always be so creative and inspiring as to pull Americans together and come up with a solution that helps people grow. And it is now more than ever that those of you who get offended by me talking, by him talking, by her talking, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian, regardless of all of that, you need to grow a thick skin. And now more than ever is the time to grow up. You need to realize that people have differing opinions. And now more than ever, we need to have civil discourse and come up with ideas rather than pointing fingers. So man up, grow up. And let's get let's just do our jobs and our jobs as citizens in this country is to to band together and, and rely on one another and lean on one another maybe not physically in this time but lean on one another and come up with a solution that helps everybody heal that helps everybody get through this and just benefits society as a whole the left is not right the, the, the Republicans aren't right. The, the moderates are not right. There is no right answer right now. And don't fool yourself into thinking that your side has all the answers. They don't. Think for yourself. That's all I want. All I want is for you to think for yourself and put freedom first because that's how we win. That's how we win. All right, guys, hope you liked the video. We're approaching the hour mark. We're at 56 minutes. Please like the video. Please share it. Please comment. Please send me an email. Uh, you know, There's a donation link there. Drop a donation if you're feeling generous. It really does help out the campaign. We need to buy campaign signs. We need to do Facebook ads. We got, we got a lot more things that we can do with that money. All of that money is going to go directly into the campaign. It's not going to me at all. I don't have any employees. It just goes straight into the campaign. Um, and it just helps spread the word of liberty and freedom. All right, guys. I hope you guys are having a good night. I hope you guys are all staying safe. For those of you whose families have been affected by the coronavirus, my heart goes out to you. Uh, I, I appreciate every single first responder that is just trying to quell this chaos into some sense of normalcy. I appreciate each and every single one of you who are doing your utmost to serve your own community, stepping up, trying to get groceries for the elderly, whether you're you know, volunteering at soup kitchens or hospitals, or maybe you just joined your local fire department. I thank each and every single one of you, and I think that uh, it, is, it is more important now more than ever for each and every single one of us just to realize how important that community is. All right, y'all, like that video, share it. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.